Open your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 1. And no one's in a hurry today, right? McDonald's is still going to be open. I guess. (laughs) KFC's still open, right? Or wherever you're going. If not, go home. So let's just take some time. I want, to, I want to take the month of September, and I've done this before in September. I've taken the month and dealt with getting back to the basics or foundations of Christianity. And so I'm going to call this Back to the Basics, and I'm going to use the book of Philippians, and I'm going to preach through it expositorily, okay? It's going to be a little bit more verse by verse than I usually do on Sunday morning. Y'all, y'all follow me Sunday, Wednesday nights, I go totally verse by verse. But um, I just want to bring out, what's it mean to be a Christian? What does that look like? Last week, I took you along the Romans road, and we dealt with what it looks like to become a Christian. I gave you the total blueprint there of how to become a Christian and what that means. Well, today I want to look at what does it look like to live a Christian life by making the gospel the center of your life? Okay, making the gospel. You know, the word gospel means good news. So God has given us the good news. Jesus came to proclaim the gospel. The apostles proclaimed the gospel. You and I are to proclaim the gospel, right? And gospel means good news. What is good news? What is good news to a lost person? You don't have to be lost anymore. What's good news to a depressed person? You don't have to be depressed anymore. What's good news to a possessed person? You don't have to be possessed anymore. What's good news to a sick person? You don't have to be sick anymore. This is the gospel. Okay? So let's begin with Philippians chapter 1, verse 28. Paul says, verse 21 rather. For to me, to live is Christ... And to die is gain. I don't know if it's 21 or 28. Thank you. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul is saying if I live, it's all Jesus. If I die, it's a bonus. Let's look at it that way. If I, for me to live, it's all Jesus. For me to die, it's just a, it's just a bonus. It's, it's, it's a promotion. Oh, Hallelujah. For me to live is Jesus, for me to die is a promotion. I want to look at this in in four different ways, four different things that pop out to me from this first chapter of Philippians as to what it looks like. What are the characteristics of living a gospel-centered life? The first thing we see is in verse 3. Let's back up. Paul said, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy. Because of your partnership, can everyone say partnership, in the gospel from the first day unto now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on into completion until the day of Christ Jesus. The term partnership in verse 4, or verse 5 there actually, is, it's translated partnership in the version I'm reading, but it's the Greek term koinonia, and it's often translated fellowship. So I'm going to use that term. The first characteristic of a gospel-centered life is fellowship. And that means you, are, you have been placed, now that you're born again, into a body of believers worldwide, 
and you are now in partnership with all of us. Okay? Because the Greek term koinonia means fellowship or partnership. It was used in the ancient Greek world uh, as a term when two men would go into business together. They would go into business together and form a partnership, an association, a community, all striving for the same cause, all adhering to the same set of values and beliefs. No wonder Jesus said in John 8, 31, to the Jews who had believed, he said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Meaning you can say whatever you want to, but those who are really my disciples are those who are doing what I say and holding to my teaching. And so those who hold to his teaching worldwide, we are the body of Christ and we are in fellowship with one another. It's one of the most beautiful things about being a Christian is that you have a worldwide family wherever you go and they're your brothers or they're your sisters. Amen? I remember when I first came to church and I first got saved, I'll never forget, um, there were old people, middle-aged people, young people in our church, you know, just like this church. And, and, And an older guy came up to me one day, he was a coal miner, and he hugged me. He said, I love you, brother. And I thought, what? Men are telling each other, other men they love them? And it really melted my heart. I'd, I, I'd never been in a community like that before. Hugging and telling each other we love each other. See, some of y'all were raised in church, I wasn't. But it really melted my heart and shifted it did something in me. I'm, not, I, I'm talking about it today. It did something in me. It's, it means something to be a believer. Look at the person next to you. you. You're looking at a brother or sister right now. You know that? They might, may be from a different place. They may speak a little bit differently. They may look differently than you, but they're your brother or your sister if they're in Christ. Hallelujah. I told the story of this morning, um, I went years ago to Mississippi, when I was first married, I went to Mississippi with my wife, she was invited every year to this uh, conference to play organ, and so after we got married, she took me, and we went to Kosciuszko, Mississippi, that is, that is down, it's, a, it's the furthest south I'd ever been, with the exception of Florida, which doesn't count, but it was the, I'm, we're in the deep south, right? And we go down the street, and we turn off left on a dirt clay road. And we drive a while and make another left on another dirt clay road. And we eventually got to the church. And we showed up at this church, and all these folks packed in there, and they had church. We had church that day. Then we all broke and went over to the fellowship hall and all ate dinner on the ground and hung around and talked to each other, then went back for night church. They came all day. They came with their food and everything because it started in the morning, and they're going to go home at night and go to bed. And we had church, but it was southern, and it was laid back. And I got to talking to those brothers in the fellowship hall, and I'm, I'm a laid back guy anyhow, and, and my wife's like, i got to get you out of here. This is, this is way too laid back for you. And I was like, these are my brothers. This is my family, man. I just found, I had family in Mississippi and didn't know it. 
Come on, somebody. Then we went all the way north to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And I thought, reckon there's any friendly people up here this far north? And we got up there, and I preached in an inner city church, and heaven came down. I mean, glory came down. And I realized I had family in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And they were just like my long-lost brothers and sisters. Can somebody shout amen? Amen. And I met people from a lot. I was in a meeting a few weeks ago in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and there were all kinds of pastors there from Hawaii and Alaska. And they were the greatest. They were the greatest. One couple from Hawaii, they were so excited to meet me and so enthused. They were they were, they were a Hispanic couple who came years ago to America and then ministered for years and then eventually moved their pastoring in Hawaii. And, and I go back to the room and I've preached and I've been in meetings all week and preached two nights. And I got in the room that night and I thought, thank you, Lord. Finally, I can just lay down in peace. And all of a sudden the phone rings. And I pick it up and the, the lady down front says, someone wants to know your room number. We don't give out room numbers, but they want to know if they can have your room number. I said, who is it? And it was this couple from Hawaii. And I said, yeah, they can have my room number. They're great. So in a few minutes, I opened the door, and they're smiling. And they handed me a box of, like, macadamia nuts covered in chocolate from Hawaii. And then they said, we have an original Hawaiian shirt made in Hawaii that we want to give you. So if y'all came to the volunteers night out, that's what I was wearing that night. I said, yes, God knew what I needed. And I told him, I said, I can't take this. And she said, brother, you got to learn to receive the blessings of the Lord. I've got brothers and sisters in Hawaii. Come on, somebody. Then I went to Africa in 2018, 2019, first time in Africa. I flew from Washington, D.C. to Dakar, Senegal, waited 12 hours in an airport on a layover, drinking espresso, (laughs) and then I got a little hop over to the Gambia, West Africa. And I knew when I flew into the Gambia, it was uh, mostly, it was I think, 80-some percent Muslim nation. So I'm going in by myself, and I'm thinking, oh gosh, I better get my story straight here, man. I don't want to get like arrested right off the plane. So I'm a little bit nervous. And we pull onto the tarmac and uh, this, little, this little airport, and they let the, the stairs down onto the tarmac. And I thought, well, here we go. And I walked down the stairs, and I looked, and there was a, a person waiting on me with a sign that said, Reverend Hess. And so I went to the VIP room, and I met this military soldier, and he said, you must be Pastor Hess. I said, yes. He said, great, welcome to the Gambia. I met Christian brothers and sisters in Africa that felt like I was worshiping with you guys. Come on, somebody. This This is what it means to be a Christian. We fellowship with one another. We have a partnership with one another like no other human beings on planet Earth experience. 
I don't care what social club you're part of or what kind of sports team you're part of or what political party you're part of. It doesn't compare what it's like being a brother or sister in Christ to somebody. Hallelujah. 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 I've worshipped in Latin America, in the Caribbean, in Eastern Europe with people that came out of communism. I've preached in the islands of the Mediterranean to people coming out of Islam. I've been in Israel. I've been in Jordan. I've been uh, all the way to India. I've been in the northern parts of India, in the most remote parts you can get. I've been down in South America, up in the jungles. I've been to Canada and preached, and I've been to West Virginia and preached. Hallelujah. And I found that God has people everywhere, and God's Spirit is everywhere. It's what it means to be a Christian. We're in this fellowship together. Can somebody shout amen? Amen. Oh, I could preach that all day long. Because that's what heaven's going to look like. It's what heaven's going to look like. I could say a lot, but I better hold my tongue. Philippians 1.9. And this is my prayer, Paul says. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. He's praying here. The second characteristic of a, of a gospel-centered believer is prayer. What do they do? He prays for love. Have you ever prayed for love? God, pour out love on them. Let it abound more and more. Let them be soaked and saturated in love. Because Paul knew something here. He was praying that their love would abound more and more and that they would grow in knowledge and depth of insight. That somehow the love was the quotient. Love was the ingredient needed for them to go deeper in knowledge and insight. And then he says, so that you may be able to discern what is best. So somehow more love increases our knowledge and insight And then when we increase in that, we have the ability to discern between what is right and what is wrong, what is of the devil, what is of God, what is of darkness and what is of light, what we should be doing and what we shouldn't be doing. Somehow, he's praying for their love to increase so that they have the ability to walk in discernment. And then, to put the cherry on top, he says, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So I'm praying for you that you increase more and more in love with the ultimate goal of standing before the Lord being pure and blameless. So Christians pray, but when we pray, we pray for others to succeed. And when we pray, we pray for the end result or the end goal and that is for us to stand before the Lord and to be able to stand there without spot or blemish and be accepted in the end see I want to make it to the finish line with you guys I want to make it to the finish I want to I want to see y'all on the other side and we have some high-fiving going on I do I want to see y'all make it 
I don't want to see anything in this life impede your progress, hinder you, or knock you out of the race that you're running. I want to see you make it all the way, shake our hands, shout with us on the streets of gold, worship the Lord with us, spending all eternity. Because you see, one thing, when, I thought about this this week with the deaths we've had. One thing death does is it, it, it really wakes you up to realize how temporary this world is. It really shakes you up to realize, man... All of us, unless the Lord comes back while we're alive, all of us will face death. All of us will be laid in a tomb or a crypt or something one day. All of us have a temporary assignment here. But we have a permanent assignment over in eternity. And so I want to see you make it to eternity. And you know, we are so concerned about this little temporary space we have that we often want to pour as much as we can get into this so we can wring out the few years we have here to enjoy all that and don't make preparations for the eternity we have out there hopefully with the Lord. Ah, hallelujah, somebody. I want to be praying that you guys make it. Yeah, I'm going to pray for you now that God blesses you, God keeps you, God delivers you, all that, and that's all good. But above and beyond that, I pray that you stand before Him and that you've walked in truth and walked in the Holy Ghost and you stand before Him one day spotless and without blemish and He says, welcome on in, well done, my good and faithful servant. Welcome into the joy of the Lord. Come on, somebody shout hallelujah. Well... Third thing here, verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. The third characteristic I see of of Paul's gospel-centered life is he lived to advance the gospel. He lived to see the gospel message go forward. Think of his mindset and how powerful this is. He says, guys, all I've been through. You know, if you look at the background of the book of Philippians, what's happening here is Paul had gone and established that church, Acts chapter 16. After establishing that church, he obviously had a heart for the church. And then would go back to visit when he could or write what and, you know, stay in communication. But when he went through a very difficult spot in his ministry, no one else helped him but the Philippians did. They sent him financial resources, goods, whatever he needed. They sent to him when he was in a difficult place. And he's writing this letter back to them basically to thank them for it. No wonder he comes to Philippians chapter 4 and says, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. Why, you helped me when nobody else would. And so now he's been arrested and he's in chains. And we know in Paul's arrest he had some liberty. He could at least receive guests and receive gifts and he could write letters and so forth. So he's in chains and now he's saying, You know what, guys? All that I've been through... And all that's happened to me, it's actually served to advance the gospel. Because of two things. Number one, there was a praetorian guard that that was very close to the emperor of Rome. He said, all of the praetorian guard knows about me. And there could have been 9,000 of these guys. 
He said, they all know about me and they know that I'm in chains for Christ. They know that I'm here because of the gospel I'm preaching. Secondly, all of the believers who know I'm here have been emboldened in their faith because they see how I'm standing and how I'm still walking through this thing. So his perspective was, everything I'm going through must serve the purpose of of advancing the gospel. Everything I go through must serve the purpose of advancing the gospel. So in this church, I've tried my best to make the main thing preaching the gospel, winning souls, and doing world missions. Some have other focuses or whatever. This is mine. That we preach the gospel, that we win people to Jesus, and that we do world missions. And we can get involved in certain campaigns and certain causes, certain social needs, certain things, and sometimes those are okay, but we make a mistake if we make those the main thing and not the gospel the main thing. The gospel needs to remain the main thing in our lives and in the the life of our church. Can somebody shout hallelujah? There was a missionary for years to India named uh, Paul Hybert, and he became a professor at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. And he was a Mennonite. And he, he wrote this. He said this about the Mennonite movement. He said, One generation of Mennonites believed the gospel and knew it affected how they viewed and involved themselves in certain social, economic, and political pursuits. But the next generation assumed the gospel and identified with certain political, social, and economic pursuits. The third generation denied the gospel, and the social, political, and economic pursuits became everything to them. Because see, when the church only becomes about a social cause, and we lose the preaching of the gospel, we've lost everything. If the church becomes only about a political cause, and we lose the preaching of the gospel, we've lost everything. I'm telling you, whether you like to hear it or not, God has some Holy Ghost-filled Democrats out there and some Holy Ghost-filled Republicans out there. I'm going to stop right there. That isn't our main thing. Politics is not our main thing. A social cause. Sometimes we have to speak out and should speak out. But social causes aren't our main thing. My main thing is to preach Christ and Him crucified. Oh, hallelujah. Preach Christ and Him crucified. That He can save your soul, baptize you in the Holy Ghost, heal your body, and take you to heaven. Hallelujah. That's what it's all about. Somebody give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Everything must center around the advance of the gospel. Notice what he says. This really blows me away. Paul went on to say in verse 15, it's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely. Supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is, is that in every way, whether with false, from false motives or true, Christ is preached. It's hard for me to bend my mind around that. Because he's saying some people are preaching Christ 
but they have the wrong motives. Some people are preaching Christ and they have the right motives. But what's it matter as long as Jesus is being preached? Now, he's not saying false gospel. Because in the book of Galatians, he condemned those who bring another gospel. He's talking about people evidently preaching the gospel, but with false motives. I, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around that, but Paul was so focused on getting the gospel out, he said, what's it matter as long as Christ is preached? Put that in your hat and chew on that tonight. Fourth and final thing is found in verse 18. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. Listen to this. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm going to go on living in this body... This will mean fruitful labor for me, yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. And convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So the last characteristic I see here is selflessness. Someone who has the gospel as the center of their life has to die to self to some degree and has to live out of a selfless desire to see others succeed. Think about what Paul's saying. He's saying, I could be killed tomorrow. I could be killed next week. They could take my head off as they would later on. They could take my head off, but what's it matter? I'm going to wake up with Jesus in the next instant, and boy, that's going to be awesome. Matter of fact, that's a bonus. That's a bonus. But you know what? I wouldn't be around to help you guys. And y'all need to be strengthened in your walk with the Lord. So I don't know what to do. But he said, I feel like I'm going to be around just a little bit longer to help you grow. Look at this, look, put, your, put your Pauline lenses on and look at life as he was looking at it. It wasn't about him, it was about others. How could he live to make the maximum impact on others' lives? If it was just selfish, be like, Lord, take me home, I'm tired of this. I've been beaten, I've been shipwrecked, I've been snake bit, I've been betrayed. I've been ran out of town. I was left for dead outside one city. Come on. I've been imprisoned. Uh, could I go home now? But, just, but whatever, Lord. I think I need to hang around here and help a few more people. See, in America, we're so focused on self. And everything is about self. A lot of our gospel preaching is all about self how you can be the better you and all that. And some of that's good. We need some of that sometimes. But I think we have such an overdose of it in America. And we have Hollywood and we have New York and we have Nashville. And we have all of these areas of, you know, stardom. And it's like we chase and chase and chase and pursue that. And so we can be all that and a bag of chips. But God is saying, how about losing yourself? 
and finding me. And when you lose yourself and find me, then I'm really going to come alive through your life. I'm really going to come alive through your life. I'm telling you something. This ain't popular preaching, but I'm going to preach it. Give me five minutes. Will you all give me five minutes? I went to Washington, D.C. back in 2000, 2001, January 2001. And I had a vision to plant a church, and I believe it was of the Lord. I believe God led me every step of the way. I had this vision, and it's going to be the rest of my life here. We're going to plant other churches, going to do mission work, blah, 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 blah. I had it all figured out. And then it all crashed and burned on me about eight years into it. And so about nine years into it, I was clawing and hanging on with everything I could. And finally, the writing was on the wall, you need to leave. And I wasn't going to leave. But we, you know, so we, I don't know. Then one day, uh, Pastor Bill Mayo calls me, who was pastoring this church. And he said, Hans, I've been praying. And when I pray, all I see is you and your wife. Every time I pray about this church, it's what I see. I think you should come here and talk, talk to them, preach for me. I started crying. And I'm like, no, I, he, he was struggling with cancer at the time. I said, no, I just want to see you healed. And when you have to have this conversation, I'll come back and preach a revival for you. But that didn't happen. And he went home to be with the Lord, and I came. And then we started pastoring, and I was so burnt and fried that I said, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to preach the Word and love people. I'm not going to knock down walls and tear out stuff. I've been doing this for years. I'm not going to fight with anybody. I'm just going to preach and love people, and God can do what He wants to do. And the church absolutely exploded, didn't it? And the general superintendent of the Pentecost Homeless Church called me. And he said, I'm glad to see you're there, Hans. And I think it's a great fit, and I think you're going to do great there. But I had this vision. Supposed to be in Washington, D.C. And he said, you know, Hans, it's funny when we get ego out of the way what God can do. It's funny when we get, and, and, and sometimes our vision is wrapped up in a lot of ego. Gosh, am I saying this? And it's all right, it's good to have vision. Y'all know I preach that stuff. But sometimes when you allow the Lord to do His work on you, you might die to some things, but He will resurrect everything He wants out of the ashes of your life. And will perform it because everything I was envisioning up there, we're doing here. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, somebody. Come on, raise your hand to say, God, use me. Just, just use me. Do, do your thing through me. God, I've tried to make things work out in my own way, and I've made a mess of some things or a lot of things. But God, you resurrect your work in me and you do it your way. You do it your way, Father. You do it your way, God, and I give you praise. I'm going to close with this. There was a missionary named John G. Patton in the 1900s who was called to the South Sea Islands. And there was an old man who came up to him and said, Don't you know you'll be eaten by cannibals? 
And Brother Patton looked at this man. He said, well, sir, you're up in age yourself. And pretty soon you're going to be laid in the grave and you'll be eaten by worms. So whether I'm eaten by worms or cannibals, we're all going to resurrect. And he said, in the resurrection, I'm going to look just as good as you. That's a, that's a, that's a selfless perspective of eternity. Use what years you have here for the Lord and use them for others. And pour. How can I be most effective to reach other people, Lord? Yeah. How can I reach others? How can I reach others? That's what I live with every week of my life. I've been praying God for a long time. God, help me to, help me to reach as many people as I can reach. And one more story. I've got evangelist stories all day long, right? General William Booth, the head of the Salvation Army. You know, he went into the brothels and beer halls of England And he took his little boy at one time and he said, look around, these are our people. These are people we're called to. And they rescued people, as you know, the story of the Salvation Army probably. But it came Christmas one year. And he was going to send a card out to all of the Salvation Army workers around the world. And they didn't have much money to do this with. Back in those days, printing cost by the letter or by the word. And so they only had... Money enough to print one word on the cards. You know what he printed? Others. So when all those workers opened their Christmas card, it just said, others. That's what we're living for. Thanks so much for watching us online. We're so blessed to to live in an era where we can come to you uh, on this platform and be able to preach the gospel and worship with you right in your home. I don't know where you are today with the Lord, but uh, I want to close this time with prayer. And whatever needs you have, let's bring them to the Lord right now, but especially if you're not serving the Lord. If you've never accepted Christ into your heart, right now's the time to do that. All you have to do is open your heart and say, Lord, come in. I believe Jesus is Lord. Forgive me of my sins. I want to change. You make that decision in your heart, then God's going to come in and he's going to do the rest. Romans 10 verses 9 and 10 says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you'll be saved. In the book of Acts, it said, call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. So let's pray for these two issues right now, okay? Pray with me. Father in heaven, I open up my heart I repent of all my sin, and I ask Jesus into my life right now. And I thank you that my sins are gone, and I thank you that my life has changed in Jesus' name. Now, Lord, I bring before you all the needs of the audience that's watching right now. Everyone who's hurting, they're struggling, they have issues going on. We bring those needs to the throne of God in the name of Jesus, and we ask you, Father, to meet them to bless right now through the power of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody can say amen. Hey, we love you. Thank you for following us. Thank you for watching us online. I hope to see you again.